Amen. Well, today we're, we're going to be starting a new series called Becoming One. Becoming One. And the tagline to it is God's Remedy for the Self-Centered Life. Now, this week I, I wanted to be Picasso, okay? And I made this little design that you see right there, okay? I'm going to be selling it after service. No, I'm just playing. I'm just playing. But I felt pretty inspired, whether you like it or not. I want to explain to you my art. Can I do that? Okay. So in this piece of art from this famous artist, what you see on the left side, if you look really closely, is, is, is a sheep. And sheep are pretty vulnerable beings. They need direction. Right? And then next to it, what you see is, if you look closely, uh, two, two, two people who are playing music in the city of Chicago. Okay? And then lastly, if, if you look very closely, you see a group of people who are just sharing life with people. You know, in music, you need collaboration in order to make one sound. And then also, if you're going to get together with people... Um, then it requires some sort of authenticity if it's going to be real fellowship or real community, right? So in order to become one family, which the church is called to be a family because God has made us his children, then it takes a little bit of, a lot of vulnerability. It takes us collaborating together and it takes us being authentic. But if you know anything about those endeavors, you know that that's really, really hard. It's actually really, really messy. So my Picasso piece ain't done yet. Hold up. Can I get my Picasso on? Okay. So if you look at the letters, you might look at it and be like, those are some weird letters. I know. I felt like being artistic. And the reason why I wanted to do those letters that way is because the letters are the same color, yet they're different shapes, yet they say one thing. And I want to tell you today that many of us have different experiences, different hurts and pains. We've gone through so many different things. Your experience is not my experience. You look differently from me. I I might not look as good as you, and that's okay. Because when we come together vulnerably, and we collaborate, and we become authentic in community, we can be the people that God has called us to be. We can become one. Now, here's the thing, though. All of us struggle with being self-centered. Each and every one of us. Every person in this room. I just got married two months ago, and, man, I'm so... There's levels of selfishness in my heart that I didn't even know were there. It's crazy. You can ask me about it later. Just don't ask my wife, because she'll, she'll, she'll keep it real and... I'll embellish a little bit. But I'm an extremely selfish person on my own. And all of us are. I'm not by myself on that. And the truth is that whenever we are self-centered, family, what that leads us to is to a lot of regret. It leads us to a lot of shame. And ultimately, it leads us to be extremely empty. Now, to make the problem even worse... When we live a self-centered life, when we try to get out of that, we're inundated with so many voices in our culture. I know you've heard it before. You got some relational issues. You know, your homegirl, your home dude be like, man, you just got to love yourself. You ever heard that? Just love yourself. 
Or what about, you know, some rappers or, or, or some entrepreneurs who tell you, man, the best way to do something is to be self-made. Do it yourself. You don't need nobody. Get your own money. Invest in your own thing. You don't need nobody to work with. Just do it on your own. Be self-made. Right? Or maybe it's not that pronounced. Maybe just you to yourself, you look at the world around you and you say, man, if I could just have the thing that they have, man, you know what? I'm going to try to get it on my own. I'm going to make it look like I'm in community, but really I'm going to try to do this on my own. I'm trying to get that car, try to get that happiness. I'm going to do it on my own. That's a foolish way to live because, as I said, it leads us to ultimate regret and emptiness. And to make matters worse, that is not the way that God designed us to live. As a matter of fact, it's so antithetical to God that it's actually antithetical to worship of God. It's actually worship of self. Whenever we think about ourselves, it is us saying, I want all the glory. I want all the credit. I want to do things my own way. So my name is the greatest above all things. That's antithetical to God. So what's the remedy to our standing before God? Because that's antithetical to him. And what's the remedy to the deep shame and emptiness that we feel from the self-centered life? Man, the Bible has a remedy for us in this text. Today I want to speak to you from one idea. One idea. We can put it on the screen. It's the remedy to a self-centered life is to switch up. To switch up from self-worship to God-worship. So releasing yourself from the worship of yourself, being self-made, and putting that on God. That's the remedy. Now, I think it's a little interesting how we get to do this. And we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 12, if you turn there in your Bibles. Romans chapter 12, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 and 2. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. If, if you don't have a Bible, um, you can go underneath the seat. There's some Bibles there for you. And you could turn to page 947 in that Bible. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. This is a letter from a guy named Paul, arguably one of the greatest missionaries to ever do it. God used him greatly, suffered much for the gospel. And here he's talking to a church he had never met in the city of Rome, a real church. And this church came to faith aside from his ministry. So he's writing them this letter in order to verify a few things that they need to believe. Or confirm some things that they need to believe. Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2. And if you can stand, would you stand for God's reading of the word? Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2. It says, I appeal to you, that's Paul. Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies. Church family, can you say bodies? To present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Can you say living sacrifice? Living sacrifice. 
holy and acceptable to God, which is, don't miss it, you want to underline it, circle it, do whatever you got to do, which is your spiritual worship. Verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. God bless the reading of his word. You may take your seats. Now, now this is an interesting text, and we're going to define worship in a second. But one thing you have to know about this text is this is, this is a go-to for a lot of preachers. And the reason why is because it's a great verse, a great um, two verses, to tell you how you can discern God's will. But one day I was listening to, to, to my wife actually teaching on this in another setting, and she brought out a detail that I was like, man, I want to investigate that. And she brought out this, this idea that this was actually given to a local church. It wasn't given to an individual, although it does apply to our individual lives. And we'll talk about that in a second. But we have to be cognizant of the context. He's talking to a group of people that are living life together, probably under a lot of persecution. Okay? And the point of the text is not just necessarily to get you to do what God wants you to do for your own individual life. What he's trying to do is he's trying to teach them how to worship God. And in the process, he's going to teach them how to live for God. All right, so we need to switch up from self-worship to God-worship, and we need to ask the question, what does it mean to worship God? What does it mean to worship God? The commandment to present your bodies to God is code for, y'all just need to worship God, all of y'all. Don't matter about your experience. It don't matter what you've been through. It don't matter what color you come from. It don't matter if you're Jew. It don't matter if you're not Jew. You need to worship God. You see, worship takes many forms. And this is the reason why he says to present your bodies. You see that word? Bodies. What do we do with our bodies? We sing. We laugh. We move. We work. Get my drift? And in this context, we pray with our bodies. We use our lips. So what he's saying is, do whatever you got to do with your body or anything that you do with your body, do it to worship God. And if you got different parts of your bodies, then your worship should take many forms. Worship God. Furthermore, the text is specifically commanding us to worship God as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. You see that in verse 1? This is a metaphor. Basically, what he's saying is, worship like animals. Now, that, that might sound a little weird to you, and you might be removed from this context, but it's a metaphor, a living sacrifice. In ancient days, especially the Jews, they would sacrifice animals to God in order to have communication with God or in order to communicate something for God. So they would take a lamb. It needed to be unblemished. This is the reason why he says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, which means set apart and blameless or pleasing to God, acceptable to God, saying, yo, God doesn't want halfway stuff. He wants it pure. He wants it great. 
And back in the day, this, when they would sacrifice animals, they, they had the healthiest of animals, the firstborn, and they had to sacrifice it unto God. They had killed that animal, and that was the way that they could communicate with God or tell God, you're my God, I'm worshiping you. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. But as I thought about this, an animal sacrifice is interesting. Because we gotta, we gotta, if we're going to worship God like animals in order to remedy our self-centered life, then we got to understand what these animals had. First, these animals had no ownership. They were owned. Secondly, animals had no rights, unlike today. Okay? That's no diss on nobody. If you think animals should have rights, you, you know, praise God for, you, for that. And animals in those days, or sacrificial animals, died. So think about this metaphor. He's saying, worship God as if you were an animal that had no ownership, had no rights, and ultimately dies to yourself. A living sacrifice. And when humans act like sacrificial animals, Paul calls it, spiritual or true worship in some translations. Spiritual or true worship is a way of saying reasonable service. It was code for that. And why is this? Because worship to God is a response to what God has done in service of you. So he's saying it's only right that you service God the same way that he has come down to you. So he's saying, have no ownership, have no rights, and you got to die. Who's your owner? God is your owner. Who has your rights? God has your rights. And why do you die? Because God has been sacrificial toward us, and we're going to see that in a second. Now get this. God continues to care for his created order, the cosmos, the world, through his church. As a matter of fact, it's the primary way that God makes himself known in the world. So watch this. Watch this. So to use all of your bodily capabilities for the worship of God is real when you use them in the context of what you contribute to others. You understand what I'm saying? So if you ain't serving other people, then you're not worshiping God. Matter of fact, if you're not serving people in the name of God, is what I meant to say, for other people, then you're not making him known. Therefore, you are not worshiping God. So what is worship? Worship is anything you do to elevate something or someone. Got that? Who does it exalt? Who does it glorify? Worship of self services you for the exaltation of you. So when all those people tell you, love yourself, be self-made, do it yourself, it's ultimately for the exaltation of who? Yourself. Worship of God is not like this. Worship of God is defined as any bodily activity 
for the sake of others, especially, watch this, for the church that elevates the worth of God in the world. Why for the church? Well, first, as I said in the beginning, he's talking to a church. He's not talking to an individual person. So worship of God happens in the community of God, which is the church. And when the church comes together or becomes one, it makes God known. The world should look at the church and say, man, that is a great God. Who is this God? Man, I want to know that God. Or at the very least, have to deal with the fact that they're rejecting a great God. So it's in the context of community that he's telling us, worship God with everything that you do with your body. So now that we know what worship is, we can learn how to switch up. Can you say switch up? We can learn how to switch up our worship as a remedy to the self-centered life. And we're going to see that in this text. And the first way to remedy a self-centered life is by embracing the mercies of God. You need to embrace the mercies of God. And we see that in the text. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, in verse 1, by the mercies of God. The mercies of God have everything to do with how God deals with you, not the way that you deal with God. Because if we're honest, many times, actually most times, we probably deal with God pretty pathetically. Right? If we're honest, can, we, can I just be real here? Okay, I don't know if I'm at the brook right now, but we'll get there. If, if, if you can't say amen, say ouch, it's okay. I got a few ouches studying this. There are three therefores in this letter that tell us about the mercies of God. And anytime you see the word therefore in the Bible, it's pointing to everything that he just said before this, this pivotal statement. So it's a pivotal statement. He's saying, in light of all of this, therefore, do this. And there's three of them in the Bible. The first one is in Romans 5.1. And I'll read that in a second. But before Romans 5.1, I want you to understand what he just finished telling them. In Romans chapter 1, 2 through 4, he says basically, hey, you guys are Jews. You are Gentiles. Some of you guys think that you're better than each other. And let me tell you, none of you are great. All of you have failed God and walked away from God. And there's nothing that you can do that can make you right with God. That's what he tells them, essentially. I'm summarizing it. And then in chapter 4, he brings up this great text about faith. How about the only way that you can actually worship God and know God and be approved by God is by your faith in what God has done, which is sent his son, Jesus. Therefore, Romans chapter 5, verse 20 says, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God. All of us have walked away from God. All of us have disobeyed what God has wanted us to do. As a matter of fact, we're so self-centered, we act like we are gods. And he says, you are justified by your faith. When you believe that Jesus died on the cross 
and rose from the grave for your sin. For you trying to be God. But that's not the only therefore. Because in Romans chapter 8, 1, he says another therefore. But after chapter 5 through verse 8, he starts going into this section where he says, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. Or excuse me, that's chapter 3. Romans chapter 5 through 8, he starts saying how we're, we're battling with this thing called sin. We still battle with disobeying God. And God has given us his law and told us that we need to obey God. And this is how you obey God. But all of us have fallen short of that law. And that law has only revealed that we are just in desperately need of a savior because of our disobedience to God's law we deserve the wrath of God but after chapter 5 and into verse 8 he says but through our faith in Jesus we actually under we're actually under a new law and sometimes he says, man, I do the things that I don't want to do. And, 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 and I don't do the things that I should do. And then he says, who can save me from this body of death? And he says, thank God for what Jesus has done. Who obeyed God's law to the fullest. God, Jesus, being God was the greatest, dopest law abider. And he died the death that you and I deserve for breaking that law. So then in verse 8, he says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. They are part of God's eternal kingdom. It's the second therefore. And then the last therefore is found in verse 12, verse 1. He says, Therefore, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Why is he saying that? He's saying that because right before this, he starts talking about because we have been accepted by God by faith, now, no matter if you're Jew or Gentile, which in those days were these two groups that were extremely divided, he's, he's talking about how God uses both people groups to reach one another. And this was a church comprised of both. So really what he's trying to get them to do is, how to, he's trying to get them to be one, even though the world has separated them completely. So he says, therefore... Worship God by the mercies of God. But I know what you're saying. You're like, man, but how do I embrace this mercy of God? How do I embrace this mercy of God? I hate scavenger hunts. It's like the worst thing ever. But scavenger hunts are interesting in, in, the, in the fact that when you sign up for a scavenger hunt, what happens is you sign up to get a prize at a specific destination. You tracking with me? And in order to get to that destination, you need some sort of guidelines. Okay? But the only way that you actually sign up for that is if you believe that that prize is at that destination. And in order to get to that destination, what do you do? You obey the guidelines. And that's the way the mercies of God is. See, because God has secured eternal life for those who believe, then we who see Jesus, who died on the cross and rose from the grave, when we believe that Jesus has secured that through his death and resurrection, then it compels us to obey God's path. 
to that destination. So, how do we embrace the mercies of God? By faith in what Jesus has done for our eternal security in obedience to his direction getting there. But embracing God's mercies by faith and obedience has opposition in this world if we are going to switch up our worship of God. Because if you're on a scavenger hunt, there's all types of things that are, that are happening to you. And in this journey with God, there's going to be multiple things that are going to try to detract you from getting to that destination. There are decisions in this house right now that you are about to make that could be costly. I know that there are things in this life, there are decisions that you have made in your past that you are not proud of that has you where you are and you're like, man, something needs to switch up because I've been doing it too much for myself. So the second way that we worship God is by weighing our sources. Weigh your sources. And this is what you see in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And there are two types of communities that desire to form your life of service unto God, or lack thereof. The two communities are the children of disobedience, which Ephesians chapter 2, in another letter, Paul says this, and the royal family of God. The children of disobedience, these are the people that live godless lives, don't want you to worship God, tell you you need to be self-centered, and these are influenced by these spiritual beings called demons, heralded by this, this spirit named Satan. And Satan wants everything to do with taking away glory from God, even though he can't do it. But he can stop you or influence you from doing it. So how does he do this? He creates this system that in the Bible calls this age or this world in order to influence you, to take you away from worship of God. Children of disobedience. But then there's this other group, God's royal family. God's royal family is the group of people that have placed their faith in Jesus, said, I am his child. I live to service God, and I want to help others do the same thing, and my destination is eternity with Jesus. And I'm going to help anybody that I can get there. Those are the two groups that are influencing or trying to influence or form your life. Now, the two words that he uses there is conform and transform. And these words are different, but they actually mean the same thing in the original language, and this is written. You see, that word conformed and transform are the same in that they convey this idea of forming you. But they're different in that they're two different situations that are forming you. In this context, conform is when, when you are formed by something that is as good as it's going to get, which is this world, this present age, the way that the world is. Transform in this context refers to the way that God transformed people, which is for his kingdom. And God's kingdom is here on earth, but it's also to come. It's coming to completion. And he's using you and I and people around us in order to bring this kingdom into completion. 
So what he's saying is, you can either be formed by what is here and is, is, is going to stay this way and Jesus is going to judge it, or you can be transformed by what's to come. You can be trendy and fashionable according to God's kingdom by the way that you live your life. So he's saying, weigh your sources. Do not be conformed by this age. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, in the scavenger hunt, and I did one in Chicago, especially in the city of Chicago, what you'll notice is that when you're doing a, a, a scavenger hunt in the city of Chicago, and you're doing it in a group, there's three different types of people in the city. In the scavenger hunt in the city, there's the people who think they know the city, but don't know the city. There's people who know the city really well, and then there's people who have no idea what they're doing whatsoever. Okay? And when you're working in a group, you'll see that all these different type of people, they're, they're trying to like work together to get to that destination. And what you end up seeing is that people start departing from the group. They're like, you know what? I'm doing my own thing, man. This person don't know what they're talking about. But most trustworthy people that you want to look at are the people who are from the city, the people who have experienced the city, and therefore they know their way around the city. And we need to weigh our sources because I know there's a lot of decisions you're about to make about where you should live, who you should marry, and all of that jazz. But let me tell you, we need to weigh our sources because if that source is not coming from somebody who's from the kingdom of God, has experienced the kingdom of God, and therefore knows their way around the kingdom of God, then you are about to make a foolish mistake. And if you are about to make a foolish mistake, Family, to make matters worse, you are making a self-centered, self-glorious decision. That is not of God. That is not of God. We need to be transformed by the kingdom of God. We need to weigh our sources. We need to embrace God's mercies. So switching up to worship God takes much consideration. But God has provided us a way to know how we can serve him in every circumstance. The last point is, we got to do what brings the renewal of God's kingdom. See that word renewal? He says, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. The renewal of God's kingdom in this present age happens by the work of the Holy Spirit of God. The renewal of the Holy Spirit causes you to believe in Jesus and keeps you following Jesus. The renewal of the mind is the process for which the Holy Spirit changes you, you from your inward being in this present age and sets it on the establishment of the kingdom. So it transfers your mind from just thinking about here and now into eternity. That's what the Holy Spirit does. How? By the word of God. God has always spoken throughout every single age. And God's spirit is the only um, God that can wash us of our sin. Wash us of our self-centered life. And ultimately can bring to fruition what God wants for our lives. So when we read our Bibles and meditate 
on our Bibles. The Holy Spirit speaks to your mind, transforms your mind to have an orientation toward the kingdom that is to come. The kingdom that is here that will be completed when Jesus returns. And the Holy Spirit applies his eternal truth to our minds in order for us to do God's will in our lives. Here in this text we see God's will and it's described as good, acceptable, and perfect, which are characteristic of God's kingdom. And you see, God's will is to establish his kingdom, not your kingdom. Newsflash. God is not here to establish Pastor Jeremy's kingdom. Trust me, I've tried, and I fail every single time. God created us for us to bring service unto him in order to create a community of people that will reign the entire universe, not just your universe, for his glory. So, if your personal decisions don't contribute to God's agenda, executed with God's agent in the world of his kingdom, which is the church, then it's not God's will for your life. But if your decision elevates, not hinders God's kingdom agenda in your life and in the world, then do what you got to do as your worship to God in service to the living God who is the creator of the universe. So if you want to know if you are worshiping God with your life, which means that you're doing God's will here on earth, then you need to ask yourself, does it actually contribute to God's grand kingdom? Or does it contribute to your own personal agenda? But see, you can't do that unless the Holy Spirit is shepherding you through his word. You know, in a scavenger hunt in a city like Chicago, it takes individual people using the same script with an authoritative source, humbling themselves, committing to one another, and contributing what they have. It takes becoming one. Not, not take, it doesn't take becoming self-centered and doing my own thing. When we, the team of God, become one, it says something beautiful, just like it does when you're doing a scavenger hunt like that. Because when you're doing a scavenger like that and you see different people's talents and the different things that people have in order to navigate this great city to get to that destination, you're like, man, that team looks fluid, it looks fly, it looks fresh. How do they do that? What is it that they have? And I think for us, as the people of God, the church of God, we need to humble ourselves in view of the mercies that God has given us. We need to let go of our ownership. We need to let go of our rights. We need to die to ourselves and we need to serve our community as our worship to God so that people can say, man, that is a great God. That is a beautiful God 
who uses people from different backgrounds. They have different shapes and different sizes. They look different colors, different experiences. And that can only be done by God. So I know you got a lot of decisions to make. I know some of us think that we're our own lords. I know that there's some people here that think that you can live this life outside of the local church. And I want to say is, it doesn't matter if you're part of this local church or another local church. If you're not part of a local church and you are about to make some decisions, you are about to make Huge mistakes. Huge mistakes. Because ultimately, it's for your own self-glory. And ultimately, you will injure yourself, my brother and my sister. But when we worship God, man, it's in light of the mercies of God. Who saw that we couldn't do nothing for ourselves anyway. We couldn't save ourselves anyways. Yet we were trying to navigate through this scavenger hunt all by ourselves, going to a destination that wouldn't reward us but would actually kill us. God redeemed us through our older brother who was also Lord, Jesus Christ, who died for your sin and my sin and rose from the grave to get you to that destination and give you that And because he did that, today, today, you can join the team. You can become one with us. And it's going to be messy. We're not saying that we're perfect. It's kind of like that illustration, different, you know, sizes, and it's hard to be one in one color. But that's the way that God designed us to be. And that's beautiful. Church family, will you pray with me? God, I just thank you for your grace, God. I thank you for your love, God. Lord, I I, I apologize, God, for all those times, Lord, I've been self-centered, even this week, Lord. God, I just pray that you would teach us, Lord, how to worship you, God, and not worship ourselves. I pray that we would do your will as our service and worship to you, oh, great God. Be with us. God, speak to us in this moment. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen.